Welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. The Jews are crossing the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and they sing a very powerful song. This is a song that is sung every day in our prayers. And it's actually the name of this week. See, in Jewish communities, we refer to each week by the Torah portion that we read that week. For example, last week, the Torah portion was entitled Bo, Come to Pharaoh, Bo El Paro. So we call that the Shabbat of Bo. The week before, it was Va'era. It was the Shabbat of Va'era. This week, it's the Shabbat of Bishalach, when Pharaoh sent the nation out of Egypt. But this Shabbat has an extra name. There are a few Sabbaths during the year that have an extra name because of something in addition to the just the general reading of the section of the Torah. This Shabbat is called Shabbat Shira, the Sabbath of song, because the highlight of the parsha of the section of the Torah, is the song the Jews sang when they crossed the sea. Now, our sages tell us that there are actually ten songs, ten special songs, nine of which have already been sung, biblical songs, the first of which is the song they sang when they crossed the sea. The final one, the tenth song, will be sung by Mashiach, the time of the final redemption. And this is actually hinted in this week's Torah portion, because the portion, the song, begins with the words, Az Yashir Moshe, then Moses shall sing. Why does it use the future tense? It should have said, then Moses sang. There are several answers to that question. But one answer is that it's alluding to the song of the future. The word Yashir, he will sing, could be divided into two parts, Yud, which is 10, sheer song. There are 10 songs. And then in the future, they will sing the 10th song. We see how important the idea of song and melody is, that it was something that highlighted the Jewish people's emergence from Egyptian slavery and bondage, because until they crossed the sea, they were still in danger of being pursued by the Egyptians and brought back to Egypt to be slaves. Once the sea was split and the the Israelites crossed it safely and the Egyptians all drowned in the sea, that was the end of Egyptian bondage. And that was accompanied with song. So I'd like to probe a little bit beneath the surface. What is the connection of song with the splitting of the sea? Because that's the most prominent song that we find in the Torah, the song that the Jews sang when they crossed the sea and they witnessed the great miracle. Why is that connected to song, to melody? So to understand that, we have to first probe a little bit deeper. What is the significance of music, of song? I'm talking mostly about vocal song, but it also can include the musical accompaniment with that, which enhances the vocals, as the Talmud says. In the Beit HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, the Levites would sing every day for the, when they offer the sacrifices, and they would also be accompanied by musical instruments, and there's a discussion in the Talmud, which is the primary form of song? Is it vocal or is it musical? That debate can still be 
engaged in even today, the Talmud concludes the vocals were more important. The musical were there to enhance the vocals. But what exactly is the power of music? The Hasidic tradition put a great emphasis on song, more so than it was understood and appreciated before the, the Hasidic movement came onto the scene. What does song represent? The Alter Rebbe, the old rabbi, that's the title given to Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, the founder of the Chabad Hasidic movement. And he says something magnificent. He said, speech is the pen of the heart. Song, melody, is the pen of the soul. What does that mean? The heart is the symbol of emotions. When you speak, you could express your emotions. You can tell a person's deep-seated emotions when they start talking, and they talk with passion, they talk with a lot of energy. You can tell if they're angry, you can tell if they're happy, you can tell if they're, if they're crying and they're about something bad that happened. You can tell their mood and their emotions from their speech. But melody touches the, the soul, that you could express the deepest parts of your soul through melody that speech, that prose itself, cannot reveal. Because song has this incredible power that can probe beneath the surface and tap into the core of our soul. That's why it's so important that the song that we sing, the songs that we sing, should be spiritual songs, holy songs. Because if the song is vulgar, whether it's because of the lyrics or the nature of the song itself is vulgar, then it taps into the core of our animal soul. We have two souls. We have a godly soul and an animal soul. And each of those two souls have their surface manifestation, the way they are overtly, and you also have the way they are beneath the surface. So if you sing a song that is unholy, that is vulgar, what it does is it can tap into, because it's a very powerful medium, it can tap into the core of your animal soul and bring out the worst in a person. Conversely, if you sing a holy song, the song itself is refined and spiritual because it was composed by holy people or holy people have identified with this song and have sung it, and especially if it is accompanied with holy lyrics, then it touches the core of our godly soul. And that's why it is much more powerful than just saying things in prose. The song could tap deeply into our core. This explains why prophets, their prophecy would be accompanied with music, with song. Because a prophet is someone who is going to become a channel for God's message. You can't be a channel for God's message if your soul is covered up because that's the part of you that is conducive, that is reflective of the divine. And if your core of your godly soul is covered up and is hidden, you're not ready to express God's message prophetically. So the prophet, it said, would take off his clothing as well. That's a metaphor The clothing represents his intellect, his emotions, the things that are in his conscious mind, 
that don't express the deepest parts of his soul. He has to withdraw from that, allow for his core to come out into the open, and that is done with music. It's the pen of the soul. Now we can understand why the splitting of the sea and the crossing of the sea elicited this very holy song, the first of the ten songs. Because what exactly was this crossing of the sea? So most people say, well, the Egyptians were running after them. They had no choice. They had to go in the sea. Well, our sages tell us that, in fact, they didn't have to go through that sea. They came out on the same side that they entered. The reason why they crossed that sea, because that represented a major spiritual dynamic. And let me explain the way it's taught in Hasidic literature. The sea and dry land are metaphors in addition to their literal meaning. A place that is dry, dry land, everything on dry land is visible. What is in the sea is covered up, is concealed. We can't see what's in the sea until we go into the sea. Land, dry land, we see everything. What happened during this splitting of the sea is the sea that represents that which is concealed became revealed. What is concealed in our world? What is utterly concealed? Spirituality. You you can see a table, you could see a wall, you could see a book, you could see a person, but you can't see the spirituality in them, the divinity in them. That's utterly concealed. And it's even more concealed than anything that's physical that's concealed. If I take something in my hand and I clasp it in my hand and you can't see it, you'd say that's concealed. But that's not really concealed because inside my hand it's revealed. And where I, the, the onlooker is, it doesn't exist. Concealed means that something is there, it's totally there, and you can't see it. It defies visibility. That's what spirituality is in this world. When the sea was split, our sages tell us that even a maidservant was able to see spirituality, divinity, more than the great prophet Ezekiel. What happened then was not just that they were able to cross through dry land instead of sea, what was initially something that was concealed from them, they were now able to see it. Spirituality became revealed. It was an open experience. They could see everything. It didn't last much longer. As soon as they crossed the sea, they lost that experience. That experience was repeated again more profoundly, more more in stridently when the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. That's when God brought the heavens down to earth and elevated the earth to the heavens. But the forerunner, the preparation, the prelude to that was the splitting of the sea where that which is concealed, utterly concealed, became utterly revealed. That is what elicited song. Because what is the whole idea of song? It taps into the concealed soul within us. And it allows that soul to manifest itself, to surface, and to have an indelible effect on us. That's what elicited the song, because that was the experience there. The spirituality was opening up. There's an expression, a rabbinic expression, kail ma'er hakavana, voice, and it refers specifically to melody, arouses kavana. Kavana is usually translated as concentration, focus. 
When we pray, we're not just supposed to say the words, we're supposed to focus on the words and concentrate on the meaning of the words and probe deeply into those words. And when you sing the words, it creates greater focus, greater concentration. Now, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson of Sainted Memory, said something very, very powerful. The word for concentration is kavana. But there's another meaning to that word. When Daniel was praying, it says he was in a room where there was a window and he was focused praying to that window, through the window. The Hebrew word for window, or the Aramaic word, is kavain, which has the same root as kavana. And there's definitely a connection between kavana, concentration, focus, and a window. A window focuses the light. But at any rate, what he said was that when you sing, and again, it's the right song, spiritual song, it awakens, it opens up windows. What do we mean by windows? So he explained that very often we have the understanding of something, we know it's right, but it doesn't translate into our emotions. We know it's right for us to help someone. We know it's right. We have no questions about that it's right, but it doesn't move us. We don't become excited about it. Why? There's a barrier between the mind and the heart. Then you have a person who gets excited about things, and the excitement doesn't lead to action. There's another barrier. We have to open up windows between those barriers that what we understand intellectually, should translate into our feelings as well. And what we feel should translate into action. How do we open up those windows? It's through song. It's through melody. When we sing the melody, it opens up those windows. I'd like to refer to another event in the Torah that cannot tie in with what we just said. Joseph was being seduced by Potiphar's wife, his mistress. He was a slave in the house of Potiphar, and the wife was trying to seduce him, and he resisted. And finally, one day, when they were all alone, she tries to get him, and he flees. So our sages tell us that Joseph was actually ready to succumb to the temptation. And before he can do anything wrong, he sees the image of his father in the window. So what does that mean? What did that do to him? So the simple understanding is that when he saw his father, he realized that he is going to be betraying his father. And his father was the patriarch Jacob. And the legacy of Jacob was legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which would lead to the Jewish people as a nation and would lead us all the way till Mashiach. And he was going to break that chain by succumbing to this temptation, so he desisted. But why does why do our sages have to use the expression, he saw his father in the window? What difference does it make where he saw this apparition of his father? And I think the answer is that the problem with a person who's ready to succumb to do something wrong, they know in their mind that it's wrong. And yet they can't control themselves because there's a blockage between the mind and the heart and the heart and the actions. So when he sees his father, he sees him in the window, that opened up a window 
between his mind and his heart and he was able to flee and able to desist from committing a terrible transgression. That power comes from song to open up the windows. And we need, we have blockages between not only our mind and our heart and our heart and our actions, but there's a blockage between us and the final redemption. And we have to open up a window. It says that Mashiach is looking through the window, but the windows could be closed. We need to open those windows. One way of doing that is through melody, through song. And the songs, the Hasidic melodies, are especially suited to really break through that barrier, creating windows and opening those windows and leading us to the final redemption. Thanks for listening to The Rabbi Greenberg Show.